Hello, hello everybody. Today we have Brendan, who is head of product at Common Stock. He has built dozens of products before. He has sold his company to Google. So today we are going to learn everything about Brendan and what he does, how he does it, what he doesn't do, and how do he, and how does he say no to things. So Brendan, in next couple of minutes, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who are you? Uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my name is Brendan Mulligan. I'm currently the head of product at a company called Common Stock, but I've spent most of my career building. I've built like you said, probably a, do a couple dozen products uh, at varying stages, done the bootstrap product thing where I've not raised funding and grown something based on its revenue. I've raised money for venture capitalists. I've sold companies to a tiny other small companies and sold companies mm -hmm. to Google. So sort of had a, uh, a winding career, but I, uh, but the theme has been the entire time that I love just creating stuff and building. Oh, lovely. Are you a coder yourself? Do you code? I usually say that I am a juvenile coder, meaning I can get stuff built and I can launch stuff and it, it, it usually works and does what it needs to do. But I very quickly hit a limit on my actual ability to create high, high quality software. So I coded a language called Django, uh, Python and Django, which... I don't think anyone starting today would necessarily choose, but that's just what I learned <laughs> 10 years ago. And for me, the process for me is about creating something from nothing and going from zero to one. And I can do that with Django. So I have yet to learn any of the new sort of better frameworks and better languages. Absolutely. So I, I was following you on Twitter and I saw that a couple of months back, I think you posted how you built about 10 products in the last year. Yeah. Uh, so how did you do it? I mean, how long did it take to get one product built? And um, what, what did you do after building something? Did you market it? What really happened with those? Yeah. Products? So, so that came after being, um, I'd done a startup for three or four years and then we okay. sold it to Google where I spent three or four years okay. or three years. And I think after that experience, it had been so long since I just sat down and took an idea and, and launched it. Okay. When I left Google, I realized that I wanted to kind of rebuild that muscle. Google okay. was an amazing experience, but most of my time there was spent helping other teams execute, aligning different people, executing roadmaps, all that stuff. But it was, I never was sitting in front of a computer actually building something. And the, okay. I did, we did launch a few products, but launching products at Google is a very different experience than launching them on my own. So I wanted to go essentially zero to one on my own with no one else involved. And so when I left Google, I just wanted to do that over and over again. So I I started working back in Django and I started building on a framework that I could build on top of Django that I could rapidly deploy different projects. And so I tended to wear all the hats and some of the projects in that thread I was talking about, some of the projects were nonsense, literally, you know, eight hour start to finish projects. Okay. Other ones were multi-week to, to over a month to get the MVP out. But I tried to limit it to that. I, if it took me longer than a month, I was starting with something that was too complicated. Um, and I probably... I think that in that thread, I think I launched 10 different things. I probably had five to seven that were not launched. Okay. And, you know, and most of them, it was put this out there and see how it resonates. If see if there are any surprises and if not, you know, let it keep going, you, you know, either turn it off or just let the few people who want to use it, use it. So it just was sort of experimenting with different ideas and, uh, and testing different things. Fantastic. Uh, so just so that I get it right. You are the single man, one man army who was thinking of the ideas coming to a situation where you realize this is, this could be the MVP uh, version of this thing. Then you mm -hmm. coded it, then you put it out in the world yourself. So if, whoever used it, you started supporting them yourself. And if it worked, you scaled it a little bit like pod page yourself. And then if it didn't work, you just scrubbed it. Like it was all you behind the scenes. 
Yeah, for most of them. I mean, the, one of the projects in that that list, to be fair, was Frontline Foods, which was something that was started by a group of other people and scaled by a group of other people. And I came in at the very beginning to help think about how you know a website and technology could help them scale a volunteer organization across the United States. Um, it was a, a organization focused on connecting donors with local restaurants. And once the, okay. the, the local restaurant would commit to feeding a floor or a unit of a hospital. So it was right when COVID was getting started. And so a donor would sponsor, you know, Thursday's dinner, give the money mm-hmm. to the restaurant, which was hurting because all the restaurants were closed. And then the restaurant mm-hmm. would feed the hospital. And so that was a, I think we, at one point that was seven or 800 people working on that across the country. Okay. And we raised $10 million, but you know, my role in that was just sort of refining the technology and making it easier for this group of people to coordinate and communicate. So that one, definitely not all me, but most of the other ones was, you know, I'd have some little idea and it was important that it was little. I didn't want to do anything that was massive. And then for the most part, I would build it and launch it myself. I had one person who helped in a contracting capacity for, I would say, complex third-party integrations. So um, if it was some, you know, if I was using the Google contacts API in some crazy way, Mm -hmm. he he helped. If it was using a, uh, we built a pretty much a payments platform on top of Stripe. Ironically, it was a QR code based payments platform, which when we built Mm -hmm. it pre-COVID, it was sort of like, that's probably it wouldn't work. I still think it wouldn't work independently, but it's, it was basically built to do the things that Square, Stripe, Toast, all these companies, not Stripe, but Square and Toast are doing right now for restaurants. So that was more complicated. I had someone help with that. But for the most part, I tried to keep everything just me because it. it was just, it's easier. You know, I didn't want to have to ping someone else if I needed anything added. I would rather maintain the code base myself. Brilliant. I mean, right now you landed up at uh, Common Stock leading their product. But uh, what was the idea? So if one of those products would resonate with people, the idea was to build it into a proper company and then scale that up? Theoretically, yes. To be totally honest, the idea was take a year after a long, you know, when you do a startup and then sell it, it's kind of like one big chunk of time. So I think we started the company in 2013. And so that was a six to seven year cycle. And some people love leaving their their acquirer and starting a company the next day and starting their next idea and raise venture, raising venture funding and doing that right away. I just needed a break. I get a lot of energy from building things. And so for me, it was, let's just with no expectations, take a year and build and see where I am. And at the end of the year, I might feel like, cool, I, I did that. And now I'll go work at a big company again, or I did that and I want to do a startup. But it was like, it was more about trying to learn about myself during that year mm-hmm. than build something successful. And one of, one of the things I learned during that time was that there wasn't in, 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 over a year, and it, it was a little different because of COVID, right? Everyone's uh-huh. um, year was not what they expected. But one of the things for me that was surprising is that there wasn't a moment in that year where I got the itch to go start a venture funded company and and raise venture money for and be the CEO. That just kind of wasn't appealing. It was really fun to work at a smaller scale, you know, it, for, with, on these projects. Mm-hmm. And so, and I was coaching the whole time. I was also doing CEO and product management coaching for companies. Okay. And okay. so that, you know, that was one of the things that I learned, you know, I figured, oh, I'll do a bunch of ideas. And one, you know, if I were to ask me a year beforehand, I would have been like, oh, I'll build a bunch of stuff. And one will get really interesting. And then I'll go raise a bunch of money. And that okay. wasn't for me, as the solo founder, that wasn't appealing or it didn't come back up. It might've come back back up, but like every time an idea kind of got to the point where I was like, if I really want to do this well, I should raise a bunch of money for it, I kind of pulled back. And so I think what that means in that year, I didn't find any particular idea that I wanted to just like go all in for of that, 
that I was doing on my own, which was sort of the irony of finding common stock and feeling that way about a different, you know, into a company <laughs> that I didn't start. That, that was not expected. Absolutely. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I still believe common stock is a very young team. Uh, I mean, few, very few people. So it still must feel like you are one of the co-founders. I mean, very early days. Um, it, it's it's a hundred percent very early days. Product itself is is been it's it's a it's a very well developed product, and it's a it's got a ton in it. So it's not at all like an MVP. It's far far beyond an MVP, and it's a super complicated product because we're dealing with financial information and mm-hmm. um, calculating it and showing it in different ways that are you know and and there's a ton of privacy implications to it that we that we mm-hmm. have to focus on, and so you know I would never say it's an MVP, and the team is. It's actually relatively large. I mean, the team is bigger than a lot of the teams that I ran at Google, and so so it's it's young in its time. Okay, but it's you know it's a pretty sophisticated piece of software and a pretty sophisticated team. So we have a lot of work to do, and we're scaling it up. Got but it. yeah, it's I you know I I definitely joined to be, to scale the team, not to find product market fit. Fantastic, Brendan. I'm curious. What is the first thing that you built on the internet or off the internet? I mean, from where did this journey begin? Well, I mean, the first thing is back uh, when I was in high school building crappy websites for people to show off okay. my like web design and graphics company. So that that's really the first thing that was like, you know, building websites for my stepdad's company or building websites for a local restaurant. That was definitely I mean, that's I think a lot of people got started who are my, about mm-hmm. my age got started that way. The, the first real startup was called Artist Data. And I'll say that when I started it, I did not know what a startup was. I didn't know what venture capital was. I had essentially built websites for a very long time, ended up working in the music industry because I was I love music. And so I like went deep after college and worked for a record label, management company, booking agency. I, I was like very traditional um, entertainment industry. And that was around 2006 when MySpace was had come to life and um, okay. digital music was a thing. And the music industry was having a really hard time figuring out like how to handle not only what to do on all these websites, but how to manage the data across all these websites. So as okay. someone who worked for a, a musician, when we got a new set of tour dates, it was great because you want your musicians on the road working, but it was such a nightmare to have to then update those tour dates and their information across, you know, at, when MySpace uh, started, there was about 40 or 50 copycats and no one knew what to do because it seemed like it was worth putting the, putting the information on all of them. And then there was um, a whole set of inf- people that you needed to send the information to who were helping manage the tour. And then there was local newspapers and then there was local radio. And so after doing that as my job for a couple of years, I left to start a website because I didn't really know anything about software that would kind of help with this. So I partnered up with someone who was a, who had worked in it at one of the labels we worked at. And, um, and essentially we built like, what I just considered like a simple little tool that when you entered information here, it would spread it everywhere else. And this is before APIs were a thing. So, I mean, this was like Twitter had started, but there wasn't like a a big movement where developers could use a bunch of other companies' APIs. So we were having basically to build curl scripts to log into people's MySpace account, update their information, email, like an an auto emailer that when you typed in a tour date, it would send it to like 50 different other concert databases. Like, (laughs) It was, okay. I mean, it was so hacky, but at the time it was, it did what it needed to do. And so um, that was what got me into it. I spent three and a half years ish building that out, going into a massive amount of debt because I had no clue how to build a revenue model around it. Okay. But it was, for me, it was probably, that was the best education that I ever got. So that, that was after the artist data. That was artist data. 
So that, oh, okay. um, that, that, was that, artist data. that three, three and a half years ish was artist data, um, ended up being very fortunate to sell that to another company in the music, in the music tech space that helped okay. basically like, honestly just got me out of debt and moved me out to San Francisco and sort of set me on a path to do this again and do it in a better way the next time. So, Fantastic. but yeah, no, that was, that was, that was the first one. Fantastic. And uh, how and when did LaunchKit happen? LaunchKit was a few years later. So there's artist data. And then that got me sort of thinking like an entrepreneur and starting to talk at music conferences. And, you know, basically the artist data, even though it wasn't a good business, it was a great product and it had a great following. Okay. And it allowed me to kind of understand what what marketing software was and, and all that. So I was constantly speaking at music conferences, um, hearing musicians' pain points. And one of okay. the big ones that came up was uh, websites. Essentially, okay. the story was, if I'm not supposed to put myself on MySpace or Facebook or Twitter as like my core audience builder, because as MySpace fell apart, so did their audience. The advice that I would give was build an email list. They'd say, how do I build an email list? We'll put it on your website. How do I build a website? And so the sort of the next product that I built, and it was really, I mean, I, I built a bunch of little products in between them, but the next big, like bigger product that I built was called OneSheet, which was an artist uh, musician's website platform. And okay really aim to do that one thing, like build a quick website powered by your social media and have it be a place you can build an audience and collect email addresses. That was it. So did that, sold that. And then after that, that's when we started the actual venture funded company, which led us to launch Git. So the first wow. company was called Cluster. And okay. this was 2012, 11 or 12, I think is when we started this. And the concept behind Cluster was, this seems kind of dumb now because every all these different um, platforms have it. But at the beginning of mobile, people were taking tons of photos. They were taking tons of photos together and you would never see the photos on someone else's phone. So if we, if you and mm -hmm. I were to go on like a weekend trip together somewhere, we both take a million photos and then yep. that would be the last time we ever saw, like we, I never see your actual photos, even though you're taking pictures of me and my wife and all this other stuff, like we would never see them. So cluster was essentially the cluster. The first version was to solve that problem where we were leveraging the GPS on the phone that was being suddenly tagging every image with a location and timestamp. We built a simple little app where I could create an album. I could invite you to the album. I'll upload all my photos. And it would basically, the app would look at where the photos were taken and when they were taken. And then when you joined, it would ask you, can I have permission to look at your photos? And it would take all the photos that were taken at the same time and place. And, and say like, oh. hey, you have 50 photos that were taken at the same time as this album, can we put them in there? So the first version was like all just aggregation of photos from people who had been on a been at an event together, basically. It was so cool. I mean, it seems so dumb right now because it's, you know, this is not, not at hard, all. I mean, I mean, even, even today, if you have to do something like this, it's very difficult. I mean, you take photos in different devices and then after the thing, you try to just share it uh, on iCloud or something. I think it's still a problem which is unsolved or maybe I'm just ignorant of the solution. No, no, this, the, well, the irony is, so we ended up moving on from the, what was compelling about it wasn't the location tagging. It was, okay. Hey, we were, we all are friends. We all did something together. Let's start an album and we can all share our experiences here, not just from this weekend, but from our friendship or a very common use cases. Hey, we're a family with a kid. This, this is actually what happened is everyone would get together for like the birth of the kid. And mm -hmm. then, same time, same place, everyone would dump their photos in as like, and then family would go back to where they lived and spread out all over the country. And so what ended up happening was the parents who now had this new baby at home would use Cluster as the place to put all their photos of the baby. Instead of dumping like a thousand photos on Facebook, oh, yes. they would dump them into that, that shared album. And it kind of was, so the location part wasn't meaningful anymore because it was the parents at home and the parent, I mean, the parents, the grandparents were like in on the East coast and Midwest and the parents were in California. Yeah. But like, so it was the location didn't matter, which broke the app a little bit, but it was that 
forming a, a bond around an album. And so that's, you know, a shared album was not a thing back then. You couldn't have a shared photo album that other people could join, didn't exist. And so uh -huh. that's what Cluster became. Um, that's what it still is, it still has a bajillion users, it seems like. A friend of mine runs it now. But, you know, but this, at the same time, if you, if you have a family that's only on Apple, iPhones, you can use their shared iCloud albums, yep, or if you're, yep. you know, you use Google Photos, you can. So like, the the that part of the need, but the location stuff actually isn't too solved yet. I mean, it, I mean, it's the 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 reason that it hasn't been solved, and the, what we found is that it, it's just not a use case that's worth solving because it's not something that happens enough. You know, it's you're not. It. I mean, COVID would have killed the company if we had we had started it around now, but <laughs> obviously, but but even when we were doing it, we found that our even our active users there wasn't enough. Like there weren't enough events happening where an event based app was photo app was ever going to like have be sticky enough to be remembered. Anyway, when we were going through the process of trying to figure this company out and build a bunch of different products, what we found was like, I just mentioned parents. Uh, we also had school teachers that would use it to basically take pictures of the kids during the day and then share the, share the photos with the parents at home. Okay. And we would have churches that would go on mission trips and the group would go down, take a bunch of photos, share them back with the congregation or mm -hmm. college students. And then I can't remember what the other one was, but we ended up building that instead of having one app called cluster where we had to like onboard everyone into we ended up building a series of apps that were 90% the same code base but 10% okay. unique to whatever the vertical we were going after was and so if you were a school teacher and you searched the app store you would actually get it was an app it's still an app called homeroom and it's very tailored there's features in it that are very tailored to schools and then there's ones for parents and there's ones for um, travelers and so oh wow Fantastic. This is a long answer to how do we get to, to launch Git, but it took years because what ended up happening was when we built multiple apps, we realized how much of a pain in the ass it was to actually build and launch a bunch of apps. This was 2011. Uh, you put an app in the app store if you wanted to know if you had reviews, you had to go to the app store every day and check, right? Yes. Or if you yes. wanted your sales numbers, you had to go and you know go log into iTunes. And so what we ended yes. up building for ourselves was hooks in to pull this information out and put it into Slack, which was just getting started at that time. And okay. so LaunchKit initially was a bunch of integrations into Slack that basically once you released an app, you could have a channel in Slack that was like all your reviews would come into there and then wow. all your sales. And so that was the product that started going crazy. And then the other big problem that we solved, which today Apple's changes, so it's not a big of a problem, is when you used to launch an iPhone app, you had to upload screenshots for every single size. So iPhone 4, 5, 6, iPad, like you had to do all this different, which took forever. If you've ever launched an iPhone app, like it just took forever. And so okay. we built a <laughs> silly little product called Screenshot Builder where you'd upload screenshots and you could export them in a in a bunch of different formats. And it was also when the, that, the iPhone screenshot, like in a frame with text above it, as opposed to just being uh -huh. a screenshot of the app, it was like inset in a phone and it said like, that was becoming that had become popular, but that was also oh, yes. a pain in the ass to do. And so um, our our tool basically did that all for you. And so we ended up building a suite of developer tools, all focused around iOS development and launch. You know the product after you launch it, and that's what that was called LaunchKit, and that's what Google bought because Google had acquired Firebase, okay. which was a, basically a, a really amazing database company. Yeah. And Google had chosen, okay, we want to take the brand Firebase and make that our developer tools. And we want to build not only tools to develop apps, but we want to develop tools for marketing apps. And so for LaunchKit, they came to us and they were like, our roadmap is your roadmap. Can you come and build that here? So that's how we ended up at Google. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, 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 it's really interesting that you built a tool 
to help people build iOS apps, but then Google bought it. Yeah, because yeah. they had similar things on the roadmap. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, Google. Okay, Brendan. Go ahead. No, go on, go on, go on. I was just going to say, you know, Google knew and knows it's important to be on both platforms. I mean, they could, even though they Absolutely. they own and run Android, I think when I think every time Google gets into anything mobile related, they have to make a decision: do we, how much do we want to lean into iOS for this? And so, when with Firebase, they were like, if we want to build a true developer platform, we need to be able to support of all for all platforms: iOS, web, and and Android. So, yeah, that's a lot of value on it. Got it. Brendan, I know you are a serial maker yourself. I mean, you love creating things. If somebody gives you nothing, you will bring something out of it. But now you are leading product at Common Stock. Do you still have the urge to dabble onto some things on the weekend, on the sites, or is that all done now? I take a somewhat unorthodox view to this. I think it's always good to have multiple projects or um, streams of conversation that help remind you of what life is like on the outside and okay. what other people are doing. So, so I still do two things. So I spent a lot of time over the past year coaching product managers okay. and CEOs. And most of the focus there was helping CEOs hire top, top tier uh, product talent or build product organizations or communicate with their junior product managers. And it was helping product managers, usually more junior, figure out how to be a product manager and what the expectations of CEO and all that stuff is. Once we put, and then eventually it was get a VP of product in place and then I'd step away because the VP of product's mm -hmm. job is to do all that. But to be clear, I wasn't an interim VP of product because that's like a full-time job. I was a okay. more of an executive coach for product managers and CEOs around product management. And so that I'm still doing, I've scaled that practice way back, but I still have a, a couple clients that I still work with. And it's amazing because in working, I mean, like, you know, some of the best, the best way to learn is to teach, right? And so yeah. when I'm sitting and, and working with these different um, heads of product or CEOs, and we're talking through some of these challenges, I'm just pulling stuff that I just dealt with at Commonstock, and it's helping me think, even find like issues that I can refine there. So I still do that a lot. And I think it's, it's really, really helpful and important to have those sort of external inputs. And then I have, you know, out of that year of building, there's one project that ended up taking, it didn't take off at the venture scale, but um, PodPage, which essentially is, I mean, it's, it's so silly. It's a website builder for podcasters. And it's my favorite type of project because it's technically fairly simple. And it's a, it's a huge value add for the, the community. It helps people who are non-technical, which is something I've always loved doing. Um, it kind of helps them do something that's super technical and makes them feel like, super, like Superman or Superwoman. And so that... That I've, you know, I looked at it the other day. I couldn't believe that I'd actually spent a full year on it. But that project has kind of come to a state of maturity where at the beginning I was, you know, spending a lot of time adding features and refining some of the core components of it. Mm -hmm. Now, like the core components are are there and the product does what it needs to do. And it's great. And people adore it and it grows on its own. <clears throat> so I still have that that I work on. But that's, you know, a nights and weekends thing. And it's not, um, I have a team that helps with it. And, okay. you know, I've got a team that helps with support, got a team that helps with the major technical issues. And so for me, it's, it's not something I have to do. It's something that's sort of like, I can sit down and put my builder hat on for an, a couple hours a week. So those are the things that, but I'm not sort of actively trying to build new things. Got Common it. stock is at this phase of, I mean, the product growth is insane and, and the user growth is insane. And then we're about to start scaling the team out to, to keep up with that. And so when it comes to sort of the creative part of my brain, that's all going towards common stock. Fantastic answer, because now I know you are dabbling into multiple things. I want to understand what does your typical day look like? When do you get up? What do you do in the mornings, afternoons, evenings? When do you go to bed? How do you Yeah, 
So I usually, I would say I usually wake up around 7.30. I'll put a big caveat that we don't have kids, which makes which makes a schedule a little bit more straightforward. But so, uh, yeah, my, I get up around 7.30 and usually from around 8 to 9, we do have, we have a dog, which is our kid. And so okay. um, during 8 to 9, it's like grab coffee, walk the dog. And um, while I'm on my walk, I'll usually check in with all the pod page stuff to make sure that, okay. you know, the people, you know, the people who are doing support, I'll just sort of look and make sure that the support's being done well and answer, you know, there's a few questions that they can't answer. So I'll check in and I try to wrap all that stuff up and be at my desk around nine and then prep for the common stock day, see what kind of meetings I have, figure out we're doing a ton of different, we're getting a lot of different project planning in place. That's the big change for the org that I brought in is just a little bit more planning and structure around product process. And so just get that organized and then we have a team sort of social coffee time at 9.30 and then a stand up at 9.45 and then the day starts. So common stock usually goes till around 5.30 or 6. And then usually 6 to 6.30, I'll do a quick check-in on the pod page stuff um, if I need to and start cooking dinner with my wife and kind of winding down for the day. And she's a nurse. And so some, a lot of nights she'll go to bed super early. And though that's usually the pocket of time. If I happen to be up at like, if she goes to bed at nine 30 and I'm up for a few more hours, like that's when I might sit down and either get some like focused work that I wasn't able to do for Comstock or, you know, build a little feature or do something fun on the pod page side. So that's sort of the creative time. Oh, fantastic. And usually I go to bed around midnight. So you know, around <laughs> seven, seven and a half hours of sleep. Fantastic. Do you use any tools or any apps to plan your day or it's, or it's just calendar that you use? For me, um, Calendar. So, and I think I was trained at Google with this. If you if you work at Google, like your calendar is is the source of all truth for you. And it was weird when I when I first got to Google. I remember reaching out to some friends saying, "Hey, I'm here now. We should get coffee." And they would say, "Like, just put time on my calendar." And that wasn't something that I didn't. I literally didn't know what they meant. Um, okay. I never worked in an organization with shared calendars and stuff. We had okay. our own calendars for LaunchKit and Cluster, but it wasn't. We didn't manipulate other people's calendars. It was the weirdest <laughs> thing. And the other weird thing at Google was that if someone puts something in your calendar and you don't say no, that is by default you saying yes. So that took a little while to get used to where people okay. would ping me and say, where are you? And I was like, oh, I got, I got the invite, but I don't know what this meeting is and why, you know, I'm not going to come. Okay. And like, uh, at Google, if you're, if, if you're added to a meeting, you're expected to show up unless you specifically say no. So anyway, um, that sort of trained me now that um, I feel like the cal- calendar is a good way of keeping my time. So for common stock, I, my calendar is probably, it's definitely the busiest of any employee, busier than the CEO, just because I like really have everything blocked out. And I actually, I block out time every day that, you know, it's kind of like do not disturb work time. And that's not, no one at Comstock really puts meetings on your calendar, but I put meetings on my calendar. And so it literally keeps me sane by having like, do not, when it says like, do not schedule, that's not me telling other people that, which is kind of how you use that at at Google. For me, it's me telling me that because if I don't do that, I won't have a break to think all day, but that's, that's the main tool I use. And then we use a, a tool for all of our, all of our process called Clubhouse, which is unfortunately named given the <laughs> breakout hit of 2020 and 2021, but that's kind of like um, a JIRA type, you know, tickets and, ep- yep. you know, big projects called epics, small pieces called stories. And that's what I basically use for all of my, uh, all of our project management and planning. And so that ties into the calendar, right? I've got a list of the major projects we're working on. I make sure that we, we're, we've got, we're checking in and we have a cadence and making sure that we're moving forward on them. And so that's what turns into calendar. Fantastic. Like I can relate to it. And I 
I'm sure you say yes to it. As a creator, most important thing that you have is your creativity. And uh, one thing that I have personally struggled with it is I have tried to put in four hours of focus time in calendar where I need, mm-hmm. and where I'll complete my all the creative things that I need to do. But it's not always true that I get my creative juices flowing in there in those four hours. And does mm-hmm. it happen with you as well? Or uh, if not, then what really happens? How, how do you get creative? How do you find the, the synergy between your creative juices flowing and the focus time? Uh, how do you match those things up? I don't think there's a good answer. For, so, so I used to do the same thing. I would, you know, I've tried a bunch of different stuff. I've tried the block out my morning, like mornings are completely no meetings. And, uh, and this actually, the better, the better example of this is when I was spending that year working on my own, because I owned my schedule. I had no schedule outside of like my coaching, which I had usually pushed to Fridays. I had no, no one else dictating my time. So I was like, cool in the morning, Okay. I will focus in and I will do the creative work. And then in the mm-hmm. afternoon, I'll do more of that if I if I have time. But that's when I'll like dig into emails and do some of the more processy stuff. It never worked. Like for me, yeah. and I, I, there's some people who have like, you asked me what my day was like. And I gave you a general framework of like, you know, yep. in the morning I do this and the day I do. It. But like there's some people who really tune in to be like, oh, well, when I wake up, I have two hours of Zen time and I just meditate and I think <laughs> and I I. I put an intention for the day. And then I have a, like a very healthy smoothie and I sit and I appreciate the the gift it is to be able to spend 15 minutes. And then, you know, and they, like they have a very regimented day or I intermittent fast until this point. Yep. And then I sit down and have a bowl of oats, right? Like there's just, there's this. And so during that time, because I, I have this coffee with mushroom infusion and that makes my morning perfect time to get, be productive and be <laughs> I've tried so many of these body hacking, uh, supplement, adaptogen, mushroom, you know, lion's mane mushrooms. I've tried so much of it. It, For me, it's just not my thing. I'm creative when I'm creative. There's nights that I sit down at 930 at night after my wife goes to bed and I build like a very complicated, incredibly valuable, really creative feature for a side project. Like this has happened before. And I'm up until two. And it's just like, and I'm not tired and it's just, it pours out of me. There's other nights that I would have had the same day, the same amount of caffeine, the same amount of, you know, food, the same type of food. When I sit down at 930 at night, I can, you know, oh, I just want to sur- surf the internet. So th- I have never <laughs> been able to tap into like, here's the right time for me. And then, yeah, as far as like putting a work block down, mm-hmm. some, you know, it comes when it comes. Like there's sometimes that I get creative and I feel these, the, like the flow starting and I'll bunt up punt a bunch of meetings and I'll be like, this is like, I have to take advantage of this because it's happening right now. Got it. Got it. Um, Got it. So yeah, that's the problem. But I think that, that what's important is to at least set time aside to, for the opportunity to be creative as opposed to just, you know, because if you, if you fill your calendar and it's, you don't have a flexible schedule, you won't be able to take advantage of those times of creativity. So. Absolutely. So this is one thing that I, that I recently started doing and it kind of has been working well for me. So now I realize that if I do not, somehow uh, figure out how to how to get creative i just cannot plan for the creative work i mean mm. these 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 things the creative part has they they they, they just keep piling up in my to do list so i started searching for puns and memes when i think hey i need to like relax a little bit go into that creative zone i just i pick any random word like moon and then i try to find puns or memes around it and huh. that 
that actually makes me forget like all the other things and slowly pushes in the, into the creative zone it's like it's still not that switch which just goes on and off but that kind of puts me in the mental state uh, where i can start being creative or actually have the opportunity to be creative do you have anything yeah. like this so when you have to creative be creative do you have any system maybe you go for a walk a bike ride or anything like that yeah i was i was going to say that so I w- was at a time in my life where I was experiencing intense anxiety both in my personal life and my professional life and what I found was I would it was killing my creativity it was just gone and this is the time I was CEO of a company and I was supposed to be you know the idea guy and the product person and the designer and yet I would sit there and just couldn't get out of my own head and the um, executive coach and therapist that I was working with both sort of it's like just sort of revealed hey like if your if your brain is going crazy and you're sitting still all that's going to happen is all that energy is going to go to your brain going crazy so get out and move your body and that could mean go go work out it could mean or it just could mean go for a walk and so that over the last few years i'd go on a lot of walks i use the excuse that i have a dog that needs to go out right and that, but but i spend a lot of time and and that has been one of the sanity checks for covid for me because we live okay. in the suburbs and there's and walking around our neighborhood it's a pretty neighborhood the weather's good always and so i spend a lot of time just getting out and that's now it's a trigger where i if i feel like for whatever reason i'm not creative instead of like thinking of mo- of a moon and then going and finding memes i just get up and i'm like i'm going to take 20 minutes and walk where i think the 10 year ago me would be like i don't have 20 minutes i can't, i need to get this document written i need to get this stuff done i can't yep. leave for 20 yep. minutes now i realize that if i can just get up and walk and if 20 minutes isn't enough i'll go for 40 or if if i'm finding that i'm still whatever can't get creative i'll just walk literally walk faster and just get my heart rate up and just do anything i can to sort of move into a different state i find almost every time when i get back i'm like i'm refreshed and i sit down and i'm able to do whatever it would have taken me 40 minutes would take me 20 minutes so that's the biggest thing Fantastic. so that's 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 a big that's a big one i would say and it's just you know i working out kind of can do the same thing but okay. for me just like moving and getting some fresh air and getting out of sort of the what you know that your workspace kind of can shake it out of you so fantastic i'm sure there are, there must be dozens of things that try to take up your attention every single day how do you say no to things i mean how do you choose where do you spend your time on i will i will admit that this is a problem that will become bigger as time goes on because right now okay. right now i you know even with common stock like i'm able to dictate we're we're at the phase where um i'm able to sort of say like okay here's how i'm going to spend my time here are the meetings that i'm going to set up i think uh and then on in you know on the side time is the same thing and so uh you know the biggest thing is like i you can't i i have to sort of close off communication between certain okay. things if i'm if i'm in a if i'm in focus mode you know all email goes off slack goes off and everything if i really need to focus on something but you know i think it's always a challenge and i think just trying to put up small barriers again this is an area where i remember reading tim ferris's book you know 15 years ago or whenever it was about like he was like i check email 4 hours a day and like to yep. you know to touch on the mailman stuff i think that that's admirable but for me you know it's it's not necessarily like i said i can't be that structured i just try to check email less right oh uh, even with even with mailman when you all when you and andrew announced it, it and i started beta testing it you know i think that the idea for him was your email only comes in a couple times a day and you set the time and for me i set like two times and then i realized well that wasn't enough so i think i set four or maybe six and then i can't i don't even know what my settings are now but i'm the worst mailman user because i check my inbox and then i'll check mailman oh. like it's i i check i check both which you would think would make it pointless but it actually that tiny separation is nice because my inbox i have filters that that the most important stuff gets to my inbox and so like if i'm on a walk and or 
just doing like in between things and I see like a badge on my phone, that badge usually means there's something that I consider important there. And so, and so I might jump in and check that, but not check the mailman folder. But if I'm going to check email, like I'll like be like, okay, I'm out of a meeting. It's two 36. I've got five minutes. And I don't really do this now because maybe this is better. Like I would say later, because I don't really check personal email during the day. So that's one thing I try to stay out of personal email during the day. And I have mailman for personal, not work. We don't do a lot of emailing it at common stock, but you know, if it's, if it's late in the day or whatever, I'll, if it's, if it's something on the badge, I might jump in and look and make sure everything's okay. And with mailman, it's not that I wait till later for it to show up, but like whenever it's time to check email, I'll check email and I'll check mailman. So it's a, uh, just trying to build like a a few barriers um, is usually helpful, but I'm a slave to email like everyone else. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I can relate to you, even though I built mailman, I've been using this tool. First couple of months were very difficult. I mean, in my head, I knew how Melvin was working. So I knew everything where all the emails are. So I could directly take a look at them. But then eventually as work pick, picked up, slowly that friction, that small added friction of checking more mails, slowly grew, grew, grew. And then the habit broke eventually. You know, in talking about this, I feel like I actually, this is a good reminder because I haven't set up the settings since, I don't when did you, you all launched like in the fall? Late summer uh-huh. last year? I think you were in the beta. So I think you signed up around September. Okay, September. So I, I think I set it up and then I refined my settings after in that first month and I haven't touched it since. And what I'm realizing is that one of the things I did with one of the things I, the way that I leveraged Mailman wasn't like, don't distract me, which is what I know, mm-hmm. Andrew, you know, you guys are always saying was the goal. For me, it was deliver things that will make me happy. And so the, the thing okay. that was the, would make me the happiest, especially back in that time when I was getting pod page starting, really starting to ramp up was when people would subscribe or pay for a, a subscription. And so I have, or, or, you know, so I have basically the couple things that get through mailman were all or are still, Hey, someone signed, built a new website, like, which to me is someone found your service and used it, which is the best thing as a builder you can get. And then, Hey, someone paid you, 10 bucks for a subscription, which is the set, you know, which is the, another level of excitement when you're when a builder. Yep. And so most of my non-mailman captured email is that kind of stuff. But um, fortunately that has ramped up to the point where it's a significant amount of email. So I should just sh- shut that off because I'm not checking it and I don't need that dopamine hit. Yep. Like yep. everyone, you know, checks things for dopamine hit, but that's a, as a builder, that's a good one, right? Going to Twitter. I feel like most of the dopamine hits on Twitter are sort of manufactured for you to come back to Twitter. <laughs> but like, when someone signs up for mailman and you get an alert that, Hey, you have a new customer. Yes. That's like, yes. that inspires you to go and build more stuff and go talk to the customers. Yes. Like that's the good kind of dopamine hits that you want. So exactly. um, I should probably now re- look at mailman, look at my settings and figure out if I have the right things coming through. Oh, absolutely. I'll be happy to uh, work with you on it to refine it out. Brendan, we are towards the end of the conversation and I have this magical question for you. If yep. somehow magically you found one additional hour in your day, how do you spend it every single day? You know, it's not a fair question because I have, I feel like I have enough time to be able to make those decisions now. I don't feel like I need that extra hour. I think if I could combine it with a a teleporter, I would be sitting on the beach with my wife and dog, you know, just spend, I think having like having the additional hour and having a rule being it cannot be used for anything productive would be probably the way I'd want to spend it, which might be a go against how, you know, a typical startup entrepreneur would want to want to be. But I think like, using it, giving more space and just having like, just time to be outside would probably be the way I'd spend it. Fantastic. But Brandon, I say if- that, I say that, and it's unfair because I, I, I try to get outside and do that. You know, that's not something I don't try to do already. <laughs> it's just like, okay. you know, 
it would more of that would be great. Oh, great. Uh, Brendan, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to follow you to follow your journey? I am fairly active on Twitter. So my handle is just at Mulligan. And if you're a podcaster, go to podpage.com and sign up and build a website and then you can get in touch. there's a little bubble that sh- pops up and you'll get an email from me so that's a way to get in touch with me there and then okay. if you're at all interested uh, we're, we're we lean towards the us based right now because of the way that our brokerage connection works but if you're at, you know someone who buys and sells stocks and is interested in finance come to commonstock.com and you can set up an account you can um, connect your brokerage and you can start learning and discussing investing with a bunch of other really smart people so those are the three avenues fantastic i'll put all of those three links into the blog post and the show notes of the podcast whenever that get, comes out so that people can directly click on them thank you so much brendan for taking our time we really enjoyed uh, knowing you your journey as a creator as a serial maker i mean i used to call myself a serial maker because i have built a bunch of stuff but then talking to you actually inspired me to build some 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 more things yeah well that's awesome i mean i congratulations on mailman i think it's such a the thing i love about it is um, I'm a big, as you can probably tell, I'm a big fan of, of solving, you know, a very narrow problem, but solving it really, really well. And I feel like when you all released it, it was like, yes, those are the ways to solve this problem. It's not, doesn't need to be a new email service. It doesn't need to be a new email client. Yeah. It, it, you can just put the, you know, what are the, what are the core things that, what core problems you want to solve? And let's just solve those first. And so it was just, it was so cool. when when it was released, cause it was just like, yep, this is actually what everyone else is trying to solve just done in a much simpler way. So congrats on it. I hope it's going incredibly well. Everyone who I refer to seems to love it. So really nice so- work on the project. Thank you so much, Brendan, for the kind words. Uh, really glad. I mean, uh, now is the time where uh, it's, it's going really well. Now is the time I have to turn off my notifications for new signups. So I have put in a random number. So every one in 10 notification come through. But thank you so much, Brendan. Uh, lovely talking to you. 